Welcome to episode 74 of Drew's Sports Crew here on this Sunday night. We're bringing it to you, and this will be up Monday morning for the listening audience on all the listening platforms. But enough of me talking here. I'm joined by a special guest in this episode. Michael Waterloo is the guest, and let me tell you about him before I bring him on. He is a, an award-winning fantasy baseball writer with works at The Athletic, Fantasy Pros, and The Associated Press. So here he is, Michael Waterloo. Michael, how are you doing here on this Sunday night? Great to have you on. Great to talk about some baseball here with you tonight. Doing very well. Appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, it's been just nonstop since the trade deadline. It's always one of the best uh, days of the entire year. So happy to kind of uh, chop it up with you here. Exactly. They got you busy. I mean, especially these last few weeks, right? I mean, fantasy baseball is like I mentioned, it's what, what he covers mostly. And, uh, you know, I saw they got you on some basketball stuff too, right? That's starting to heat up, you know, with the draft season and stuff actually just drafted for a dynasty league. Very happy for it. But, uh, yeah, fantasy baseball, right? Now, it's heating up playoffs in my league, especially it starts two weeks. Looking forward to that. But um, yeah, Michael, it's going to be great here on the Sunday night. We're going to be going through the trades here, all this stuff. And I guess to start, I guess, talk, talk about the trades. You covered stuff here on The Athletic. You were talking about fantasy implications, right, with these trades. Do you want to kind of elaborate more on what you were looking at in that piece? Yeah, so it's a uh, piece that I did last year for the first time for The Athletic. And uh, my editor loved it. He loved just kind of the approach, kind of... Uh, looked at each and every trade and kind of looked at every player that was traded, how many we had, how many all-stars compared it to the previous year and looked at mainly the fantasy relevant people and what it means for them for their fantasy value. If their stock is up, if their stock is down or if it just kind of stays the same and beyond that, trying to look at opportunities that are created for other players, say like Rizio Iglesias leaving the angels. Okay. Well, who steps up, who steps up as a new closer there? Jorge Lopez gets to go to Minnesota. We have Felix Bautista there in Baltimore. So trying to look at it from a fun aspect for fantasy. And, uh, you know, I, I don't take I, – I love my job. I love writing. It's fun. But I try to make it fun too. And I don't try to make it too serious and just realize that, hey, we're all playing a game. So I try to look at it in a, uh, in a fun way but also try to give the information out there for the fantasy implications. So, yeah, this was a big one this year, I think around 5,500 words or so. But, yeah, you can find that at uh, The Athletic. Yeah, go check out The Athletic. That's right where I was going, Michael. You know, if you want to go see you know, what he was talking about, go check it. We're going to be covering more of the baseball side here, right? I just want to leave that. You know, if you want to check out the fantasy baseball side, go subscribe to The Athletic. Why not? They have a student discount. I know we have a younger audience here at the sports group. Go check it out. You got it. I mean, can't go wrong with it and from there here from here michael let's go right into the the trades that took place july 22nd is where we're starting here lb.com did a great great job of listing here all the trades for us and the first one yeah daniel vogelback goes from the pirates or to the mets as uh, they give up colin holderman you know the, the story with the mets which michael perez then was the next guy they got from the pirates in a separate trade but you know, with the Mets, it, we've seen in the platoon kind of situation now. I mean, we'll, we'll touch on future trades, right? They got Tyler Naquin. They got, you know, they, they went out and got Daniel Vogelback. They got Darren Ruff signing like. So we, we're right now we're seeing Vogelback and Ruff with that sort of platoon situation. Uh, Michael, with this trade, what, what were your thoughts instantly when the Mets were kind of approaching this platoon? Are you all for it? I mean, analytics-wise, can't, can't can't go wrong. Yeah, yeah, whenever this first happened. So uh, a little background, I used to cover the Pirates. Uh, I was a beat writer for them for two years, so I'm kind of still familiar with the team and how they operate. So this offseason, you saw some of the names that they signed. It's like, okay, you know they're signing these guys, hoping two or three pop that they can flip them to the trade deadline. Vogelbach was always going to be one of those guys. And whenever this trade happened, it kind of felt like uh, Cohen was trolling everybody from the New York side because they were uh, right in there with the Juan Soto discussions. And it's like, all right, the Mets want that big lefty bat. Well, they got their big lefty bat, but it wasn't Juan Soto. It was Daniel Vogelbach. Um, I, I I think the trade makes total sense uh, from their side of things. Uh, from the Pirates' side, too. Like, it, it's that they, they weren't going to retain him past. They were going to move him. They got a de- decent arm for him. It's fine. As far as the Mets go, 
I think it, it really makes sense to have that one-two platoon with Vogelbach and Darren Ruff there. Uh, Vogelbach has always been better against righties. He's a really good power bat, but he's also kind of limited, and we've seen the track record throughout his career where he's a streaky guy. But whenever you put him in the strong side of a platoon, again, with Darren Ruff, who absolutely crushes lefties, I think it's a very, very smart play and very underrated play by the Mets. But you see it all over Twitter, especially whenever he's running the bases or something like that. People uh, really pop for Daniel Vogelbach. And I know being in Milwaukee, he used to be a kind of a, a big hero up there, too. They love him there. Oh, we yeah, we love him. You know, being a Brewer fan. Still got the yellow shirt. Was at the game today. Unfortunate loss. You know, it's been tough here for the Milwaukee Brewers. As of late, we'll talk about some of the moves for them as well, of course. But look, Daniel Vogelbach, he was... I, I also like to hint at, like, you know, some of these moves, these are playoff moves. I mean, these are guys you get for the playoffs. For example, for the Milwaukee Brewers last year, being able to have Rowdy Telez hit and then being able to pinch it the next at bat, have Daniel Vogelback. If you're like, look, you're down a run, you want some swings at go yard. I mean, both those guys are, you know, above average at it. And uh, Daniel Vogelback was certainly a guy who they were able to utilize, you know, Hits a walk-off grand slam off the Cardinals last year. Crazy moment there off for Alex Reyes of the Cardinals. But, yeah, and you, I like the move, too. Big, big fan. I I'm, I really like what the Mets did here at the deadline. Next move, we're going to go through some of these brief. Red Sox, they acquire Abraham Almonte for cash. You know, the Red Sox were playing a little bit of buyer and seller, just flipping guys that they necessarily didn't want to hold on to. Other moves, uh, let's go to the move that really kicked off free agency here, Michael. Yankees acquire Andrew Benatendi from the Royals for three prospects. And those guys, Chandler Champlain, TJ Sikama, and Beck Way are those three pitchers going in that trade. But the main story, right, Benatendi going from the Royals to the Yankees. And that was like, okay, well, Aaron Hicks struggling a little bit as, as of late and whatnot. And then, of course, Joey Gallo was going on there. Benatendi becomes a Yankee and it just felt like it was a good fit in the terms of a the ballpark you know b he kind of fits in there with that lineup right I mean a lot of strikeout guys right Yankees have just guys who with high strikeout rates and you bring in a guy like Benintendi although he's been an empty batting average guy as of late or I mean this whole season uh you bring him in Michael do you like that move do you like you know having with the Yankees have those power guys they get guy like Benintendi as a batting average OBP kind of guy I think it's fine. I've never been a huge Benintendi guy. Um, I liked him coming up. I, I was like, hey, he could be in the, the next Christian Yelich before Yelich went to Milwaukee in his Miami days. Uh, so I, I think it's fine. We, we've seen him kind of uh, struggle a little bit to New York. He had one hit entering the day. He had two today, which which was nice to kind of uh, get him off there a little bit. I'm, I'm not a big Yankee fan, so, you know, uh, selfishly, I, I don't mind seeing him taking a little bit of time to get going. But, yeah, I um, – Kind of to your point, I, I think it's fine given the setup that they have with their lineup. They have all those big power guys, a lot of swing and miss guys. Have somebody to get on base. I think Ben Benintendi's really, really good at that. Um, you kind of dream on the lefty swing in Yankee Stadium. You see what Anthony Rizzo has done. You see what Matt Carpenter has done. I don't really expect the same thing from Ben Benintendi. That's not really kind of his hitting profile. But if he's able to just kind of be that contact guy, that anchor to get some base. Uh, yeah, I think it's fine. The Yankees didn't really give up anything to get him. Uh, Beck Way is really the only prospect that note that's heading back to Kansas City. So, yeah, I think it's a really, really good move for them, especially they're going from Joey Gallo in the outfield to Benintendi out there. So I, I think it's a plus. Yeah, exactly. You know, talking with other Yankee fans, they 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 love the move, like having Benintendi out there over, right? And guys like Hicks and even just taking at bats away from Gallo, who now we know, right, is with the Dodgers. Actually, just watched one of his at bats here before we went on the air, and that that Phillies or not Philly Padres Dodgers game there. Next trade here. This is another one I was talking about with the platoon. Tyler Naquin, Mets acquire, and uh, they also get Philip Deal from the Reds for two prospects. Um, going through it for the Mets right away here. Tyler Naquin and Mark Hanna. It seemed like that was kind of going to be a platoon. I guess uh, right now the concern, right? Canna is not really known for hitting lefties as better than righties. And you bring in Naquin, who's, you know, a plus hitter from the right, like better against right-handed hitters. It seems like an interesting platoon here. I guess I, I don't know what or how I feel about that. I think Naquin will still be 
Another guy, right? Solid pinch hitter. Otherwise, if he's not starting in a game, uh, Michael with with Naquin as with the Mets. Were you a fan of this one? I, I hate to be that guy that says I'm not a big fan of this person, but I've never been a Naquin guy either. I thought his uh, stock was kind of elevated in Cincinnati, given the ballpark. But yeah. yeah, to me, he makes sense as a perfect like bench outfielder, and which is totally fine because you mentioned earlier about Vogelbach. Like a lot of these moves are gearing you up for playoffs. And that's kind of what the Mets are doing. The Mets aren't Metsing. The Mets are a really, really good team right now. They're one of the deepest teams that you can find. Uh, so this is a perfect addition for a playoff roster. Um, I, I don't really see him taking over a lot of playing time for Mark Hanya. Um, But, yeah, I, th- I think it's a good baseball depth move. And that's kind of a, as far as it goes for me. Yeah, I, I guess I'm right with you with that. Luis Castillo, here, here's another big one. This this one we have to spend some more time on. Goes to the Mariners from the Reds. I did not expect him to really go to the Mariners. Just with, I didn't know what his asking price would be. And if you told me his asking price would have been Noelvi Marte and then Edwin Arroyo with those two guys. And then also, is it it's Levi Stout and then Andrew Moore. Those guys, That's a that's a haul for a guy, you know, Luis Castillo. Seen him, of course, in the NL Central for years. Incredible, incredible pitcher. But the fact that the Mar- or the Mariners gave up that much there for Luis Castillo that blew my mind. I, I, I credit the Reds, you know, and and they're just looking what the fans have gone through, right? And with all the trades, they've got they got a lot of great players this this deadline. And uh, Michael with Luis Castillo going to the Mariners, did you think that was too high of an asking price? Um. I don't think it was too high. I think it was really high. And it's one of those things that it depends on how every team kind of values their players. And also sometimes if you're going after a piece that you really, really want a player that you really, really want, sometimes the price isn't too high, no matter what. Like uh, I I know we'll talk about it soon, but the Frankie Montas deal. Um, The A's had specific pitchers that they wanted, specific players that they wanted. So that return looks light compared to the Castillo one. But the Mariners are rewarded for having that huge farm system to the point where this deal happened. And I said, they're still not out of the Juan Soto running. They can get both despite losing Arroyo, despite losing Noel Bay Marte. Um, so it was definitely, definitely a high price. But sometimes you have to pay that high price and go for it. Uh, we know the Mariners haven't exactly had a long uh, track record for playoff success. But they are capitalizing on that pre-All-Star break run that they went on ever since the Jesse Winker fight in uh, Los Angeles. They've kind of been a whole new team. And we're seeing that with a really, really good rotation now. It's smart because they can manage George Kirby's innings. It's smart because Marco Gonzalez isn't really a good pitcher. He's fine. Every single team needs one of those innings eaters. But now you get Luis Castillo, who it gets out of Great American Ballpark, Great American Small Park, whatever you want to call it, goes to T-Mobile Field out in Seattle. It's a plus for venue. It's a plus for team. And it's just a plus for the Mariners. But like you mentioned, it's a plus for the Reds too because you look at the hall that they have now, that farm system has gotten really, really, really good. And Noelve Marte, uh, Arroyo going there, add with it, Ellie De La Cruz. You see Jose Barrero just get called up. Cincinnati is just a year or two away from being a very, very fun team. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to Barrero for a sec, but I got to hear where have you heard great American small park? I've actually never heard that in all my, you know, years being a Brewer fan. Where where does that come from? I think that goes back to my time covering the pirates. Uh, Got it. Yeah. 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 I've heard uh, fans on there be like, Oh, great American small park added again. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Ever since that, that kind of uh, has stuck with me. I was like, you know what? This is a really, really good nickname for a uh, for a ballpark. Yeah, Jose Barrero, though, to go back to him, you mean you bring him up perfect. What a series he had against the Milwaukee Brewers, you know, defensively. Game was on Fox Saturday night and has a it's two home runs in the game and he just he looked he looked impressive. I know the average isn't there right now. Put together some nice at bats against Corin Burns, you know, which not everyone could say. I, I'm all in on Barrero. I think he's their next. I think he's their shorts up. We're actually already seeing Kyle Farmer. They're moving him. He got pushed to third. I mean, they're letting Barrero just take over, take the reins there at short. Great player and just an exciting. You you hit it right on the nose with the Reds. I, I think a couple of years. That's why 
Brewers got their window right now, uh, you know, Cardinals too, because it seems it's going to close when the team, other teams right now, the bottom feeders, I guess if you want to call them that, start to emerge. But other trades here to talk about. An underrated one here, of course, before mentioning Tampa Bay Rays, it's always going to be a move that, you know, not many people are going to talk about, but it, it, it's going to make an impact. David Peralta goes from the Diamondbacks to the Rays for Christian Serta, catching prospect there. Uh, Monka, or David Peralta, he's been he's been good so far this year. I mean, he's kind of, right, he's been kind of just kind of like a platoon guy throughout at least these last few years. An underrated move is what I like to say. It's final season. You know, it felt like he was going to get moved considering his age and whatnot, but Peralta, he's always a nice daily fantasy guy. I want to mention as well. I seem to always plug him in a lineup in some fashion, but Michael, David Peralta to the Rays. I know you're an alias guy as well. You think this move is going to maybe hurt the Jays once in a while? Uh, He seems like one, uh, one of those guys who will just come up with that big hit and just kind of annoy you as an interdivision rival. And it's not always necessarily the best player on the uh, opposing team. It's just that one guy. It's just like, of course, we're going to get beat by uh, Brett Gardner today or something like that. Like, of course, it's going to be David Peralta. It's the uh, bases clearing double. Like, I'm with you there. And I think it's a very underrated move for them, as well as another move that they got Jose Siri. Also from the Astros, I think both of those are very big uh, raise guys. And we know how they are with their team. They mix and match. You never know who's going to be out there. But there's no team I trust more to get uh, the most out of their players than the Rays. And I think we're going to see that with David Peralta, too. And from a long-term standpoint, I really like it for Corbin Carroll uh, to maybe even get a cup of coffee later on this year with the Diamondbacks uh, now that the space clears in the outfield there. Yeah. You know, I hate to mention fantasy baseball quickly, but, you know, if your playoffs goes maybe a little late – you know, if you can get Corbin Carroll, maybe, right? I mean, it doesn't hurt. I mean, we've seen, we've seen guys. I always think of Reese Hoskins for me, who um, just like think about his impact of like a while, you know, think about if you picked him up or had him stashed and whatnot, just think about the return you got at the end of the year. You're playing that long. That oh, was, yeah. that was something. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Were you going to say something? No, no, I was going to say, oh, I totally okay. agree with you. I'm Perfect. The, uh, Reese Hoskins. Yep. August 1st. Now we're, we're going to move to. Yankees, yeah, I mentioned the Yankees, Michael. They get Scott Efros from the Cubs for Hayden Wesniski. And the story with Efros, you know, I, I've seen him pitch and he's been, you know, he's been very underrated. 28 years old is kind of the other thing, but years of control is what he has being a rookie still. And that, that's been, that really attracted the Yankees story with Michael King going out for the year, but getting, the pitcher they got there, number seven prospect from the Yankees, Hayden Winiski, who he was, and uh, decent haul there for him, right? Get a reliever with control. I love the move for the Yankees here. I mean, we, we know that they are they have a plethora of prospects, and they're not afraid to trade, you know, some of those middle guys. They have those few that they're, like, um, not going to trade at all, you know, some of those other guys, like, of course, like Dominguez and uh, Volpe, and so those guys, but Michael, with this trade, Scott Efros, I like it for the Yankees. Are you on the same boat with me? Yeah, I think it's a great deal. You mentioned uh, Michael King going down. Not only that, but Aroldis Chapman hasn't been Aroldis Chapman. Uh, Clay Holmes is starting to look like the Pittsburgh Pirate version of Clay Holmes. Uh, So this is a really, really smart deal for them. You always want to shorten the game, especially whenever you're going uh, into the playoffs. So, yeah, I think this is a – very, very underrated deal. And um, Mike Petriello from MLB.com actually had his top five uh, w- or his biggest winners from the deadline. And I think uh, he had Efros number five going to the Yankees. And he just said, no, it's a very, very underrated deal, but one that's going to have a uh, big impact. And like you said, they have the farm system to move those guys and they didn't have to kind of move the key pieces like Jason Dominguez or Anthony Volpe or Trey Sweeney or anybody like that. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a really, really good gift for New York. Yeah, I'm all for it as well. Uh, let, let's go to the next trade here. Look, this trade, oh, Josh Hader for goes from the Milwaukee Brewers, the San Francisco or San Diego Padres for Taylor Rogers, Robert Gasser, Estuary Ruiz, 
And do I do I need to include Denelson Lament? Should I just say Colorado Rocky Denelson Lament? Lament? Uh, I, yeah, for accuracy purposes, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll let you talk here first. So you know, I I want to hear. So when you saw this trade go through, Michael, what was your thoughts? Uh, just from a baseball perspective, like what was going through your head? Uh, salary dump. That's the first phrase that came to my head. Is well, what the heck were they doing we'll say and then uh also just salary dump and it's a sad state um i know the brewers try to get ahead of it with their little statement they put out there trying to be transparent as possible um but yeah i just thought salary dump and whenever you're in a first place race with the cardinals for the division uh, i know hater like he had those two terrible games right before the all-star break i know that you know he isn't that multi-inning guy that you see anymore but my first thing was just like, man, this is a terrible look. And I think given the lack of other moves by the Brewers, like if they were to bring in a, a, another bat or two, I think it would ease the pain a little bit. But they didn't. And this was kind of their deadline. It's just like that's that's not really a great look uh, at all. So uh, and then they go on to get swept by the Pirates, including Devin Williams breaking his scoreless inning streak with a walk-off homer to Brian Reynolds. So – it was just kind of like, of course that happened. So yeah, that's kind of what was going through my mind when I first saw this, and I just, uh, yeah, it made me sad. Yeah, I, to go with what you said, um, the funny thing is, which it, it it is a salary dump in the long run, right? I mean, you can't deny that. But the Brewers actually ended up picking up more money on the books from all their trades they've done, you know, in the, in the deadline. So it was like, uh, well, Mark Anasio and and the front off, like that's the the owner of Milwaukee Brewers there, and then. Of course, David Stern's president of baseball operations were under you know a lot of you know scrutiny because people were looking into it and it was like, okay, well, why did these trades happen if you ended up putting more money on? We really didn't get a good answer. Uh actually Mark Anasio ended up basically it was it was he said David takes care of that. You're gonna have to talk to David. So that was the response. Not a good look from the owner, otherwise, especially in a, let's say a pennant race, right? Um it's not looking good. I like the move for the long term for the Milwaukee Brewers. I like the move, but the issue is, you know, you don't bring in any bats. What you said. I mean, that, that's what ended up making me not like the move. If you're not going to make any other adjustments, Esquerra Ruiz. I know he's a guy we haven't really seen much from in the big leagues with the Padres this year. But come on, when you almost have more stolen bases than strikeouts in the in the minor leagues in AAA or in combined minor leagues this year, he had 60 steals compared to 65 strikeouts. And then just also he was walking, you know, OPS was over, over a thousand. He, he, minor league numbers were big. We didn't really see that, of course, translate into the big league, you know, data, data, but the concern still for him, which whatever, but is as a prospect, just analyzing him, uh, inability to walk right now at the big league level. But Robert Gasser was the other guy. Perfect last name, by the way, for a pitcher here. Um, he's a guy I'm looking into. I'm, Pretty intrigued about it. They both got slotted, I believe, nine and ten. Let me go through it. So LB Pipeline went not or eight, eight, nine, sorry. Robert Gasser, number eight. Estuary Ruiz, number nine. I think the prospect return was nice. And then you swap the the guys who are top two in saves. Obviously, you know, you'd rather have Hader over Rogers, but Rogers gave up a run today. And then Devin Williams gave up a run too, an extra as he gave up the the ghost runner and another on top of it. But um Prospect wise, I guess, but yeah, Hater going to Padres. Padres made big moves, and this is actually a move. People in the community, or certain people, right, were calling you know this this Hater trade one of the worst of the deadline for the Brewers and some ends, and some actually praised the trade. It was a, this was a trade. I don't know if you agree with me, Michael. That I saw it was a mixed bag. I mean, people were loving it or people were hating it. I didn't feel like there was really an in between. Yeah, I I didn't really see the people who were lukewarm. I saw the people who understood it, and some people were excited for it. Um, I personally don't like it. I I don't like it short or long term. Um, I'm also – I love Esther Ruiz's speed. I love the potential there. The quality of contact or lack thereof really scares me. Um, He has a, I think, 111 ISO, and for a corner outfielder – not great. Um, whenever you kind of look at the other people who he could compare to in that way with his low average exit velocity, I think around 70 miles per hour, his max around 100.02 is like a Tony Kemp or 
on a very, very good outcome, Andrew Benintendi. Uh, so if he can be Benintendi with speed, that's good. That's not bad. I'm, I, I just really, really am concerned about his staying power uh, being more than kind of like a – I don't want to say Billy Hamilton because I think he can be better than Billy Hamilton because, as you mentioned, like he can hit for average and everything. But the barrel rate's down. The exit velocity's down. So the quality of contact, I think there's a lot of room for improvement there that he needs. And if he uh, is able to kind of tap into that a little bit, and even be kind of an average player in those metrics, I think that this could be a, a good deal for the Brewers. Just at, at this point right now, it's hard for me to see that. Yeah. Yeah, StatCast data, as you mentioned, does not really like him. I was hoping, and I hate to bring it back up to Nelson Lament again, but I was hoping, you know, looking at this trade, I, I thought that was going to be a piece that, you know, kind of made this really strengthen the deal for the Brewers. I did not at the time, which I guess I should have thought. Um was going to be a salary dump. Look, what the, what the Brewers owner, Mark Inasi, was doing right now, looking to buy stake in a soccer team. There, there's just a lot, you know, in Milwaukee right now. It's just, there's a lot, actually, you know, I hate to go to Twitter and say, but there's a huge movement right now on Twitter, of course, um, as we've seen with other teams in baseball, like the Athletics and Reds. They're just not happy with ownership right now. And we're starting to see that more and more with the Milwaukee Brewers. We've seen this in the past few years and that's i just feel with small market clubs you're gonna get that but that's just unfortunately the reality sometimes but here let's go to it three team trade here um you know i'm actually working on fantasy football getting a three team trade done i, I want to see how this works but here's a three team trade of baseball yeah you you gotta love it and uh astros here i love this trade too speaking of, of things we love astros they get trey mancini what a great change of scenery and also jane murray and then the Rays get Jose Siri and another good move there you mentioned. And the Orioles, they get Seth Johnson and then Chase McDermott. Let's start with Mancini going from Baltimore to Houston. I'm sure everyone's seen it. I actually believe in your article. I believe you mentioned a specific uh, graph or not really graph, but like a model, a figure to show what happens when if you take Mancini's home runs in uh, now pitcher friendly park in Baltimore. And then you put him in Houston, we see completely different player. I mean, uh, in terms of power volume, uh, Michael, you want to talk about what I'm referring to here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the article on the Athletic, which you can get for uh, one dollar per month for the first six months. Um, in the article, I kind of talk about yeah his change of scenery and how he actually leads baseball in one of the worst uh, stats that you want to. He has ten home runs on the year before the trade. His expected home runs were 16.3, meaning that the negative 6.3 value in home runs like he had was the largest in all of baseball, not just by a little bit, but by 2.1 home runs. So those changes they made in Baltimore to really attract the pitchers that they want in the uh, offseason, which granted the team looks good. I can see them doing that. It's really, really hurt players. It really, really hurt Trey Mancini. Again, you're not uh, the Astros aren't buying his stats that he already had. They're buying what he can do. And guess what? He had three home runs in his first few games with the Astros already. So whenever you look at the two graphs that I have uh, in that article, it just kind of shows his spray chart. And if he played his games in Houston instead of in Baltimore, how many additional not only home runs he'd have, but hits he would have too. And that's why for me, he was the biggest individual winner and the Astros were kind of the biggest winner because he was able to go there. It's all about Dusty Baker and hopefully that uh, he's able to kind of play him regularly and not sacrifice him for uh, Yoli uh, Gurriel, who's a fine, empty average guy. But uh, yeah, I think Mancini is just uh, kind of showing what he's able to do outside of Baltimore. The batting champ from last year, Yoli Gurriel in the AL, I believe. Um, But yeah, I, Going with it, right? I mean, we know the Astros analytically advanced. Have actually been able to meet with one of the their uh, someone in their baseball or operations at school in Milwaukee, and uh, yeah, I mean, talk about just being out of the game. I mean, they're they've been in w- with that. I, I look at a guy who the, who they've talked about before, even like Brooks Raley, who's now in the Rays. I mean, that's just a guy who like a reliever. They've they kind of like reinvented their just guy. I think of right away, but. Looking also through it, Mancini's going to be a guy. I mean, they're going to be able to, at the end of this year, you can test free agency, but I think they're going to bring him back. I mean, I, I depends where the money is, right? But certainly seems like a guy to bring back. We've seen the success right away. I think he's going to be 
look, the Astros, which I'll be doing, as I told you, we're going to be doing some bold bold predictions here at the end of the episode. And I really want to hear what you got to say for for some of the World Series things. But look, the Astros are looking very good right now. Another team that's looking very good, Frankie or Yankees with Frankie Montas. And maybe not, maybe not on Sunday, right? The performance is a little shaky, but you get Montas and Lou Trevino, and you give up four prospects. The Athletics get a nice haul there with that. Um, going through it, though, we'll, we'll focus mo- mo- mostly here on the Yankees side. Montas and Trevino uh, look, seemed like the Yankees had another move in mind, which we'll talk with Jordan Montgomery, but it seemed like maybe they didn't want to rely. You know, Luis Severino basically is the story. You know, his, I believe, shoulder, right? We're looking at that. And then uh, that was kind of the move that was, or the injury that kind of pressured the Yankees going in for Montas, and they got him. And with that, I think that's going to be a guy who we're going to see down the stretch. Another guy postseason-wise, you'd love to have him and him and Cole together. And I'm all for it uh, for the Yankees. You know, Michael, where are you on this trade? Do you think that the hall was right? I think that the hall was very Oakland athletic-ish. And I don't mean that as a negative. I don't mean that as a positive. I mean, they have a type of player that they like. And you see that with Ken Waldachuk. You see that with J.P. Sears. Uh, Both of them are kind of uh, command over stuff, which is fine. But um, it it seemed kind of light given the return that we saw with Luis Castillo a few days before. If the Frankie Montas deal happened before the Castillo one, I think we'd be like, okay, that's fair. But we're always going to compare it. So you're like, ooh, the Yankees were able to get him without giving up any of their top big prospects. Uh, they had Walter Chuck, I think it was like five or six in the system. Okay, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, I, I like it from the Oakland um, perspective a little bit. Like, I think it's fine. I think both guys are close to the big leagues. Uh, we'll see J.P. Sears a lot sooner than we will Walter Chuck, but I think we see both before the end of the season. Um so, yeah, I, I think it's good for Oakland. And then for the Yankees, um, I think it's a move they had to make. Um, I, I don't know how much I trust Frankie Montas in uh, Yankee Stadium, though. I also put another graph, speaking of the Trey Mancini ones before, in there. And uh, he would uh, not really be helped out by the small dimensions in Yankee Stadium. Uh, as you know, or as you may not know, uh, Oakland has the most – foul ground territory in all of baseball. So he's going from arguably the best pitchers park in all of baseball to one of the worst pitchers parks in all of baseball whenever he goes to Yankee Stadium. Uh, So there's a little bit of a concern there. And uh, his home away numbers kind of reflect that too. Uh, So I I think it's a really good deal for the Yankees. They get him for control next year too. I'm a little concerned. Um, I, I know we'll probably talk about it later with the Jordan Montgomery deal and then also the Pablo Lopez deal that wasn't uh, for the Yankees, but they still their rotation still gives me concerns. There's a lot of injury concerns on there. Garrett Cole's fine. Jameson Tyon, two Tommy John surgeries. Frankie Montas has shoulder injuries. Domingo Herman has been out with injuries. Um, trying to think. Uh, Luis Severino has missed two years, came back looking good hurt again with another shoulder injury. So I think the Yankees uh, pitching depth is really, really going to be tested, but that's why you go out and get a guy like Montas. And uh, yeah, hopefully he's able to kind of navigate Yankee stadium and kind of pretend that he's playing an open Coliseum, but except with fans in the stands. Yeah. They made the trade. They had to, of course you have to include um, athletic attendance upon, you know, just (laughs) it's one that that has to be included sometimes, but yeah, a move the Yankees had to make is like is how I like to put it, and yeah, that team's looking great, but not looking great after this weekend. But anyways, Red Sox, they made a move. All right, I mean we were talking buyers or sellers are the Red Sox, and they get Tommy Pham here from the Reds for a player to be named later. It's crazy, Tommy Pham, thirty four years old, may, well, certainly a late bloomer was how he was with his time with the Cardinals, and yeah, I mean they get him he. He's been all right, 238 average. Yeah, I'm using average, but OPS 694 with that. And uh, going through it, though, with with Fam, I want to mention, he's been, yeah, I mean, it's, he's just been mediocre, it seems. It hasn't been necessarily exciting. He, he's been streaky is another way to describe it. That ballpark, you know, he goes from good ballpark or very good ballpark to 
pretty good ballpark. So it's not like that is going from something really different. I feel like the Red Sox are just trying to hit on someone, just trying to, you know, get some anything going. And that's that's kind of what forced to make this move. JBJ, of course, being DFA'd. Could have told you that, you know, being a Brewer fan uh at the start of the year. But uh what were what was your thought here, Tommy Fam, going to the Red Sox? Again, I was just kind of confused. Like, what are they doing here? Uh, because I, I kind of wrote in the article, like, between the Red Sox and the Cubs, like, okay, you have history, you have old ballpark, you have a curse, and then you have two teams to have something else similar uh, where they don't know what they're doing. Um, they're buying and selling. You see uh, Christian Vasquez getting moved, but then here comes Tommy Pham. It's not like the, like, Mookie Betts deal, which I hated, but at least you got some young players. You're getting an older Tommy Pham who still hits the ball really, really hard. And his pull percentage really helps him out to be able to kind of pepper the monster, which is really, really good. But they're in last place in the division. I don't really know what they're doing, what Tommy family does for you. Player to be named later or cash considerations. Sure, that's fine. Whenever they got him, I was like, are they just going to get him and then flip him? Is that is that kind of the plan here? It, it, it didn't really make sense to me. I... I like Tommy Pham. I think he's a, like you said, late bloomer, pretty good player. Uh, the batting average isn't there, but the quality of contact metrics are really there. And uh, yeah, he has like a 33% pull percentage or something like that, which really helps him out with the monster. So uh, I think the deal is good. It just doesn't really make any sense to me from a baseball uh, standpoint. Yeah, no, I'm with you right with that. Uh, I want to go through some, we'll go hit some of the bigger moves. We're not going to talk about some of the smaller moves that took place. Here, I guess we'll go. Well, let's talk about this move because I want to talk about Mitch White a little. And I know you're a Blue Jay fan, so Blue Jays they they acquire Mitch White, Alex DeJesus from the Dodgers for Nick Frasso and Moise, Moises Brito. Uh, Mitch White here, you know, just see it just seems like you know, Dodgers have a never ending pool of pitchers, and you know, Blue Jays who are not necessarily always known for their starting pitching, but certainly this year, you know, proven otherwise. Uh, what was your thought with this trade, you know, bringing Mitch White in here for the Blue Jays? I thought it was a really, really good – well, I, I like the move getting Mitch White. We'll, we'll start there. Um, he's a guy who kind of has that Dodger slider. Um, and I kind of fell in love with it over the offseason, kind of watching tape. I was like, man, I really hope Mitch White gets a chance to kind of shove this year. And we saw it in kind of shorter order the – Dodgers let him go four or five innings at a time in his uh, Blue Jays debut yesterday. I think he went four and two-thirds innings against the Twins. Um, he's a guy who I really, really like, especially off that slider, which we're seeing uh, baseball high numbers this year across uh, the entire league with slider usage. But he has a really, really, really good one with a 31.7 whiff percentage. Uh, so I think it's really good for them to get him, especially with – Hyunjin Ryu getting hurt, especially with them uh, trading Maximo Castillo, who's one of my favorites. He's now in Kansas City. Um, and then also uh, Nate Pearson not really kind of taking that next step. So I, I think he's a really good number five starter for them, but he has a really bright future in Toronto. I do not like giving up Frasso, though. As you mentioned, it seems like the Dodgers always have unlimited pitchers. This is going to be another one. Nick Frasso is really, really special. I understand you have to give the get. I understand how it works. It just really hurt because uh, in maybe we'll say this time next year, we're going to be like, man, Frasso is really rising up through the Dodgers system. He's the next Dodgers. Uh, he's the next uh, minor leaguer who's going to pop there. So it kind of hurt seeing him go, but the Blue Jays can't really be worried about prospects when they're trying to go after the pennant. So, you know, it's, it's a good move. It kind of fits the need that they have with uh, – Jose Barrios, uh, you know, his only consistency is being inconsistent, as I like to say. And you say Kikuchi, where you don't know what you're getting from a start to start. And now Ross Stripling hurts. So I think uh, getting White on the team was a good move. Yeah, I just want to point out um, with Mitch White, right? He's th average fastball being 94. It's just crazy to me uh, how he's 53rd percentile in um, fastball velo throw 94. Just today, the, this day in baseball, it's just insane to me. But let's go to. Some other moves out again, the bigger ones now. Jake Odorizzi from Astros or goes to the Braves from the Astros for Will Smith. This move, like this was the one that was like, yeah, I, I like it. And then we, we actually see what the Braves do, right? They they get 
Rossio Iglesias too. I think the Braves, which if we want to do winners and losers, I really like what the Atlanta Braves did at the deadline. I mean, the past two years, I think they just home run after home run. Again, who's to say right now? Odorizzi you know, really didn't have a spot in the Astros rotation just with the situations, right? I mean, Javier, Garcia, some emergence there. It, and then Astros, they flip him and they get Will Smith. They bolster the bullpen like what both teams did for that. Michael, do you think this this was just a great trade, I think? Yeah, I thought it was a good trade for both teams. Uh, you remember they got Jake Odorizzi last year because he was a late um, – spring training holdout because, you know, uh, he, he couldn't find a team to sign with because he had the, um, quali- the, the, I, I forget the name of it, but, uh, the, the qualifier with him where if he signs, they have to give up the, the draft pick, but then Justin Verlander went down, he got hurt. So they're like, okay, Jake Odorizzi, here's a two year deal. Come here with us. Well, Verlander's back pitching. Great. Like you said, they're running out of room. Plus Lance McCullers is coming back. So he was going to be the odd man out. So it was a perfect move. We talked about before shortening the game in the um, in the postseason. Getting Will Smith is a very, very good acquisition. And Atlanta kind of needed another starter. And we saw today where they sent Ian Anderson down to AAA. Because uh, Anderson, he's kind of polarizing. There's not a lot of spin on his pitches. It's always kind of been the thing with him. He's always kind of pitched very flat. So Odorizzi's kind of able to step in there so that they're able to try to work with him down in AAA to get Ian Anderson right. Uh, so, yeah, Rizzi is a perfect, perfect Braves move. Like you mentioned last year, Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, they got them for nothing. I believe Rosario was acquired for Pablo freaking Sandoval. If I remember, uh, the Panda, I think he was uh, in that deal to get uh, Eddie Rosario. So Atlanta knows what they're doing. They're very, very smart. And uh, I think Rizzi could be a very, very sneaky hat for them. So, yeah, I like it for both teams a lot. Exactly. Uh, I'm with you on that. Uh, just a good trade, I think, for both squads. The Minnesota Twins, another team who many are calling winners of the deadline. They acquire Jorge Lopez. I always like to mention he was with the Milwaukee Brewers and he was throwing 90 back then. And now we're not seeing that. But uh, Jorge Lopez goes from the Orioles to the Twins and they get they get a nice pool of guys. They get four guys there with it. But focusing here on the, the major league side. Jorge Lopez, a guy who just kind of reinvented himself. He got credit the Orioles. Look, the bullpen that they put together, very underrated. I mean, there's you know not many people will talk about a lot of the guys. Of course, Felix Bautista, main guy getting a lot of attention. But Jorge Lopez, the Twins, you know, Twins are kicking themselves after the trade they made with the Padres in the offseason. I know Rodgers, right, just but getting Chris Paddock back going, unfortunately, with Tommy John. But looking at Lopez, got to go look at the numbers. He is upper eighty-five plus percentile, and you know all the all the metrics you like to see. Fastball velo, of course, be a ninety-six ninety-six percentile now, which is something you wouldn't see. One thing five years ago for the twenty-nine-year-old vet, but going with you, Michael here, Jorge Lopez going to the Twins. I really like it here for the Minnesota Twins. I, I think it's great all around. Uh, you kind of mentioned that off-season deal that was, was kind of like, well, this kind of trade means nothing for the Padres or the Twins now because uh, Emilio Pagan was not good. And then they have Yohan Duran, which is who's really, really good, but you don't want to kind of tie him to the ninth inning. You want him to be a leverage guy, go multi-innings. He kind of reminds me of a younger Josh Hader to kind of uh, circle back there. Uh, but, yeah, Lopez has kind of reinvented himself. I was excited about him whenever he was uh, younger, getting into the league. I'm like, oh, this guy could be a starter. He can put it all together. He could be a really dominant starter. If not, we could see him in the back end. Didn't really see that until uh, Baltimore. But I was really, really nervous whenever he got traded that he would maybe be like the Will Smith, where uh, it'd be good for real life going to a team. But for his personal value or for his fantasy value, since that's kind of what I do a lot, I'm like, okay, he may be like in a setup role, something like that. But he's going to a great landing spot, allows him to continue to lock down the ninth inning for the Twins. I agree they're also a winner at this deadline, and it's Felix Bautista season, folks. If you uh, – you know, the Orioles are actually playing really good baseball right now. Adley Rushman is fantastic. But if you want another reason to watch them, just watch him to see Felix Bautista because he is so much fun. So, yeah, I'm uh, very, very excited, especially uh, for Lopez and Bautista. Yeah, great situation for both those guys. You need some saves. Felix Bautista's your guy. Uh, not, we'll, I'll touch on just these trades, and we'll move through them. The Phillies, they get Brandon Marsh from the Angels. It was a catcher, Logan Ohapi. 
Padres get Brandon Drury from the Reds, Victor Acosta. Twins get Michael Fulmer from Tigers, Sawyer Gibson Long. The Phillies get David Robertson for Ben Brown. And out of those trades I mentioned, Michael, was there one that stood out was like, I like this move? Uh, yeah, at the time, I think Brandon Marsh was my favorite one of them. He hasn't exactly been great with the Angels, but the Angels haven't exactly been great at developing players either. But uh, Logan O'Hoppy has really come along as an offensive catcher, so I like that for a franchise that has needed uh, a, a steady producer behind the plate for a while. And Marsh is one of the top five defensive outfielders, I believe, and outs above average. So I, I really like that move for the Phillies. I think there's enough there with the strikeout rate being able to kind of be fixed. It's more looking than swinging, I believe. And he has a prospect pedigree, still young, great lineup. So that that's a trade I really liked, especially getting uh, just Odebel Herrera out of there in Philadelphia and having somebody who can really man center be able to add an elite level. Yeah, um, looking defense. I mean, I, I didn't mention that Mundo Sosa trade, but like the Phillies recognized defense hasn't necessarily been a strength for the squad in 2022, but they were able to hopefully make some corrections with that. Let's go to, so there's three more or four more, I guess, moves. Oh, there's a lot of moves. That I still want to talk about it. Just a few, though. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on mostly. Jordan Montgomery was was the one. I, I was like, we got to spend time on this one. Uh, goes from the Yankees to the Cardinals for Harrison Bader and player and a player to be named later or cash. Going through those, uh, it, it was certainly a head scratcher uh, for some Yankee fans. Even you know, looking at this trade was like, why do I want it? Want Harrison Bader, right? Plantar fasciitis he's going through right now. Um, but I think this was a, a postseason move here for the Yankees, getting a defensive guy, a pinch runner, arguably if when he comes back and. Um, I'm I'm for it, you know, giving up Montgomery. Eh. But uh, Michael, if you had to pick a winner for this trade, you know, for like season long here for the rest of 2022, who would it be? Oh, uh, man, that's a tough question. I would go with the Cardinals slightly just because it was um, subtraction by addition, I guess, for the Yankees, because we mentioned earlier their rotation and the concerns that they have there. Uh, when this happened, I was like, okay, Pablo Lopez is for sure going. Pablo, right? Pablo, where are you, Pablo? It hit 6 uh, p.m. Eastern, and the trade never happened. So that's the reason it was a head-scratcher to me. I mentioned uh, Brandon Marsh before being one of the best defensive outfielders. Uh, right there with him is Harrison Bader. And, uh, you know, I, I think we talked about Tyler Naquin earlier going to the Mets as a postseason move. This is a postseason move, too, like you mentioned. So. I think it's a good trade for the Yankees, but I think that they needed the uh, rotation help more than they needed uh, the defensive help out in the outfield. Yeah, I I don't know where I'd go. Ooh, I might I might say Yankees, but it's just because of the like it's tough getting Montas. But uh, yeah. here's a trade. August second, we see so right right near the deadline where many of these trades took place. The Blue Jays, this was like a last, this was like a buzzer beater. If you want to call it a buzzer beater, the Blue Jays get Whit Merrifield from the, from the Royals. I saw you shake your head already. We'll have to get to that. But for Samad Taylor and Max Castillo, so the concern right away for me was like Merrifield. He was not vaccinated. So sounds like that got situated. But uh, Whit Merrifield going from the Royals, who hasn't really necessarily been impressive this year, hasn't been really the Merrifield we remember. I mean, as of late, he's been kind of streaky, but whatever. Goes to the two of the Blue Jays who have an all-star in Santiago Espinal. So I was like, okay, how are they going to fit him in? Michael, so explain that head head shake to me and talk to me about what you think about what Mer Merrifield come to your team. I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> and for so many reasons, uh, I try to be kind of unbiased and everything, but my God, uh, the days leading up to it, the Blue Jays were just quiet and it, you know, like every other team, I'm like, what package could they put together to get Juan Soto? I knew it wasn't going to happen, but, you know, I had those dreams. And I'm like, okay, the Blue Jays are still very quiet. Okay, they're still quiet. Okay, right now we have Anthony Bass and we got Zach Pop. Cool. Yeah. What else? Okay, like this is a team going for a World Series. Oh, Mitch White. All right. Like, I like him. Number five starter. What else? Whit Mary. Okay. So the guy who wasn't able to travel with the Royals to Canada is looking to be the Kyrie Irving of MLB, where, but instead of his home arena, he's only going to play in America instead of Canada. Like, what? how's this going to work here? And then uh, there was a report going out there that, like, 
they said, well, we're still going to leave that up to him. And it's like, you're still going to leave that up to him. But as you said, it got resolved. He said he's going to be in Toronto. He'll be able to play. Um, okay, that part's taken care of. But Merrifield hasn't been good this year. He still has elite speed. And it's not fair to judge a player off of their stat cast page. But when you look at his, you see a lot of blue. He's blue. not hitting the ball. <laughs> yeah, he's not hitting the ball hard at all. He's not getting any barrels. He's not hitting for any power. And it's like, okay, wh- where, where are you playing him then? Uh, okay, is he going to be playing second base? You mentioned Santiago Espinal. He's been a little streaky as of late, but he's still that all-star. And like it or not, uh, that still kind of carries weight. Okay, George Springer's hurt. Did they know that ahead of time with his elbow? Maybe they got him to play some center field. But when everybody's healthy, you're getting a guy who's going to be hitting seventh or eighth who isn't really doing much. Maybe going to a team that's in contention is going to kind of rejuvenate him. But all I see is just kind of a 33-year-old bench guy, which is fine. But... I have the feeling the Blue Jays are going to try to push him to be even more, especially for a team that has title aspirations. Uh, it, it left me kind of uh, disappointed, uh, to say the least. Yeah, and, and you mentioned uh, with Whit Merrifield, uh, a lot of blue. I w- you know, a lot of dark blue. I mean, the, the hard hit percentage is the one tenth percentile. You know, and that's just, uh, it's just it's stuff not to like and. Uh, you can understand, you know, the Blue Jays front office. They want to make a move, it seemed, but maybe this just wasn't a move. It, almost maybe something out of nothing is kind of what you could say. But look, they went out. They 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 got maybe their guy. Who it's hard to say if that's really who they wanted. But um, tough move there for the Blue Jays. Uh, it's gonna be interesting development as we see for the rest of the season as it plays out. But I'm gonna read through now, like. Four or five moves. You're going to tell me just one that stands out. We'll talk about it. Then we're going to go to the Soto, and then we'll be doing some predictions. So how we'll roll it. Here, here are the trades. The Braves, they get Rasiel Iglesias from the Angels for Jesse Chavez and Tucker Davidson. Twins acquire Tyler Malley from the Reds, and they got three prospects out of that. They got Spencer Steer, Steven Hajar, and then Christian Encarnacion Strand were the three guys there. And then... The Phillies, they get Noah Syndergaard for Mickey Boniak and then Yadiel Sanchez. And then Eric Hosmer goes to the Red Sox. That was a mess there, of course. Two prospects and and cash also is included for Jake Room. Joey Gallo goes from Yankees to, to Dodgers for Clayton Beater. And out of those trades, Michael, I know I just threw a lot at you. Uh, just we'll talk about one. What's one that stood out for you? One that you were like, Hey, I mean, there's could be something here, and or just a trade you liked. Yeah, uh, for one that I like, I guess we'll go with the Minnesota and Cincinnati exchange there because we talked about Cincinnati kind of retooling their farm system and just the haul that they got. And uh, I really like Christian Encarnacion Strand. Uh, he's he's a dude uh, to kind of give the most simple analysis in the world right there, but. He's somebody I really, really like who's broken out in Minnesota this year. So it was nice to kind of see that return. And I also like seeing Tyler Molly get moved. Uh, Tyler Molly is a really, really good pitcher who kind of hasn't had the results you'd like to see this year, despite some a very, very similar underlying uh, numbers. His uh, 440 ERA isn't really representative. The indicators are all sub four. And uh, you'd like to see a little bit more strikeouts, but his whiff rate is basically in line with what we saw last year when people kind of were pegging him as a breakout, uh, real-life pitcher as well as fantasy. But we talked about Great American Small Park earlier. He gets to leave there, and now he gets to go to Minnesota. Not only does he get to to go to Minnesota, he gets to pitch against the Tigers, against the Royals, against the White Sox, and against the Guardians, which are four sub- our uh, offenses. So I think it's a really, really good move for Minnesota, really good move for Cincinnati. So that's probably my favorite of those ones that you listed. Yeah, that's going to be my favorite here too. I mean, you mentioned the transition for ballparks, just overall great there. Um, You know, I I guess I'm looking through the ones I mentioned. Yeah, that's got to be the winner. Uh, The Braves getting Rossio Iglesias basically then just taking, you know, basically just telling us right now they're not going to resign Kenley Jansen. I love that move too. They've been so great at that. I mean, getting a guy with extra control 
So I look right away to Matt Olson. I mean, that's the obvious one, getting a guy and then just extending him. Just kind of like making a statement there, saving money while, you know, making a great baseball move is what they've they've done. There's another one. Here's the last one. This one's just a mouthful. <laughs> Padres. Yep. They they were the ones. It seemed a lot of the people in the community were talking Padres being in, in the top five to get him. And look, they got him. Padres acquire Juan Soto and Josh Bell from the Nationals for Luke Voigt, Mackenzie Gore, CJ Abrams, Robert Hassel the third, James Wood. And then Jarlin Susana uh, going through this trade here, Michael. Look, it was a mouthful of a trade. Honestly, you know, our lo- I'm wondering where you stand on the trade first on like who is necessarily the, the winner. And it's hard to, you know, consider a winner when you have a generational player involved with limited years of uh, team control. But if you had to pick a winner, let's say 10 years from now, we look a decade now- later from this trade, who- which team do you think will be the winner? I think it's the Padres. Uh, just going out. He, he's a generational talent, like you said. Like Adley Rushman, we talked about, is having a great season. Juan Soto is still younger than Adley Rushman, and he's a rookie this year. Like it, it's, it's one of those that just can change the landscape of a franchise if you want to look at that long term. Even if Soto doesn't sign an extension in a couple years with them. That's fine. Um, they're showing that they're players. People are going to want to come there even more. Pairing him with Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis, that can have just like 20 years worth of impact on the team. Uh, their farm system is one of the worst in baseball now, but you empty that tank every single time when you have a chance to get somebody like Juan Soto. Uh, you saw the first night there in his debut, that stadium was rocking, that stadium was packed. And how great was it seeing Soto take a walk? Josh Bell take a walk, and then Brandon Drury, another new arrival, just hit a grand slam. So, yeah, the Padres are the winners there. It's one of those deals where it's like, okay, is that enough? Is that enough? But you could include everybody in the world in a package, and you'd still say, is that enough? Because that's how that's how good Juan Soto is. Uh, the initial reports out there of what the deal was, it didn't include Mackenzie Gore. It didn't include James Wood. And I'm like, if that's – I don't want to say all, because that's kind of disrespectful to C.J. Abrams, to um, – Robert Hassel, but whenever you're looking at it, it's like, really? That that That's the going rate for him right now? Adrian Morhan is going to be like the big pitcher that's going to be involved there? Every team should be looking to top this. So having uh, James Woods in there, having Mackenzie Gore in there makes it a lot better. I feel really bad for Luke Voigt that he kind of got uh, put in there. Uh, good for Eric Hosmer for exercising that right to uh, say, no, hey, I, I'm not going to do that. Like, cool, you weren't that good for you. That's why that's there. Um, first time eyes have been on Eric Hosmer since 2017. So good for him getting that attention and exercising that. But um, yeah, it's a, uh, it, it's a, just a fun deal. It's a really fun deal. And I hope for the nationals that it works out uh, in their favor too. I hope uh, both teams kind of uh, make out for this. Yeah. Um, going with the trade, right. I mean, you have to see the Padres like in 10 years start, like you get generational guy and you know, even the, even to have the potential of an extension, just the potential with the generational guy you still have control of right now. Uh, you can't go wrong. Um, and it's just hard to put a, put a price tag on a guy. Like, so that, that was my other thing, but like you had to trade him. And that's why I credit the nationals even for getting, you know, they, they got, of course they got something for him. So, I mean, they, they did what they had to do. And that's why it was just like, it, it was just a tough situation. The nationals were put in able to, you know, still try to make the most of it, but it just, it, you know, it hurts as a brewer fan seeing, you know, let, let's say a smaller market San Diego Padre team uh, pack the stadium, have it rock, and they're all in it. And, you know, of course, with the, bringing other sports, I mean, San Diego, all the, the Chargers, they moved to L.A. I mean, now it's – I mean, it's San Diego. It's a baseball town, and that's just something have be able to have that stadium rock and just a great situation. Great. You know, it's looking good for the Padres, to say the least. Uh, go in here, Michael. Really good. Let's let's do some bold stuff. So we're gonna do some bold predictions and how this works. I'm just gonna say some things and I want to hear what you say. You ready? <laughs> All right, I'm ready for it. Okay, here we go. The World Series matchup in 2022 will be blank and blank. The World Series matchup in 2022 will be the Toronto Blue Jays and the San Diego Padres. Okay. And I will answer here too. Full disclosure: I try to make a prediction before the deadline, so I 
I predicted, I was like, all right, the Cleveland Guardians, they have this young core. They're going to go out. They're going to go get J.D. Martinez. They're going to go make a splash. They have Jose Ramirez. They have a young rotation. I was like, you know, we've seen teams around 500 make the move. And we like I, I always throw, right, Nationals in 2019, the Braves in 2021. We're both sub-500 around this time. Make it to the World Series, you know, win it. So I had the Cleveland Guardians. I had them go to the World Series. And then... I want. I went bold on the other side. I was like, "Well, the Milwaukee Brewers, my team, they're going to make a move. They're going to get someone." I chose two teams who did not make any move really at the deadline to help <laughs> their squad. Uh, bad luck by me. So I went really bold there. Now I'm going to have to choose something else. I, I don't want to say the Astros. I seriously, I, th- I think the Yankees going to make it here. I, I know we don't want to hear that. I think the Yankees, and then I will in the NL. <laughs> it gets tough. I want to say Yankees Dodgers and just say, Oh, well, that's just what the favorite is, but it's always, you know, it's never that it seems. So I hate to throw another one in there, but I could say Yankees Padres as well, but that's where I would go. I'm not picking a winner. Okay. Here's another one. The rookie of the year in the NL will be who? Spencer Strider, especially yeah. since the uh, Braves don't have any plans to kind of uh, move him to the bullpen immediately or limit his innings. Yep, that was mine here. If there was any sort of, you know, it was a little concerning. I, mean, I think, or like if that that was going to be the, the talk, he was mine. You know, Michael Harris, of course, also on that team. Having even talked about him, he's the one. It was like, he could be, you know, Christopher Morrell, who was one. It's just crazy how that's, that race has transformed from, you know, at the start of the year, everyone was like, say a Suzuki, right? I mean, he's not really mm-hmm. a rookie, but is. He was actually my pick at the start. Or O'Neill Cruz was another one we heard a lot. That didn't happen either. Okay, I got a couple more here. NL Cy Young will be who? Oh, the NL Cy Young. That's a good one. Um, okay, these are rapid fire, so let me go quick. You're okay. You're okay. I, I, right. I know. I will go with Corbin Burns. Yeah. I'm going to go with Corbin Burns. Uh, they, fun fact, my preseason World Series prediction was Blue Jays against Brewers because I felt the Let's one, go. two, three of Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta would be a little too much for anybody in the NL to face. Burns is just looking great. So, yeah, we'll go with Corbin Burns. Yeah, you know, Sandy Alcantara was, of course. Uh, yeah, 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 I know. Um which yep. you could go with. I like I said, these are rapid fire, so I don't expect you know it's it's tough. So Sandy, it's gonna be Sandy and Burns are gonna be the top two. And you I'm know, gonna change my vote to Sandy. Yeah, cha- change it. Yeah, change yeah. It. Oh, <laughs> I, I I I thought you might have forgot about him. I have one more here, and this one this one's gonna be a, you maybe guess it. AL MVP. Who is this gonna be? This is the... You know, I have an answer now, and then if you ask me tomorrow, I might have another answer, but I'm going to go with Aaron Judge. Um, it's it's hard to go against Shohei Otani. I don't want us to get desensitized to what he's doing, and if he's doing what he did last year or for the most of this year, every year, damn right, give him the MVP every single year. But Aaron Judge is just on another planet right now. He is making the Yankees look foolish, which gives them even more brownie points in my in – my, uh, you know, in, in his favor for me. So, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Aaron Judge, and hopefully the show continues. I want to see him uh, break 61. It'll be fun. All rise. Aaron Judge is also mine. Uh, you got to go with him. It's, you know, again, well, Tani's doing, but look, the Yankees, I hate to say it comes it, it just with team now. It, it goes for team there with, with just what with Judge's team versus the Angels squad. I personally, which, and I, I know this is 2021, I wanted, like, if team didn't matter, like I, I know we saw Otani win last year. I thought Soto, you know, Juan Soto should have won over Harper, but that might have been just me last year. That was just one of my takes that I just I look at the end of the year. I was like, I really think Juan Soto was the MVP of the National League, but I understand Harper was playing for a team that was in it in the last few weeks of the year. So I, I get that aspect, but that that's that's the awards. Um um twenty twenty two. We'll see how those wrap up. Thank you, Michael, for participating in the bold takes and thanks you for coming on this episode. Anytime, Drew. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, before we wrap up here, I want to hear where the people can find you and a work you have planned in the, for the future. Anything you, any article you're working on, I want to hear about it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Michael Waterloo. I tweet about my dog, Vlad Jr. and Anna Kendrick a lot as well as sports. <laughs> so uh, you can follow me there. And then, uh, yeah, for the fantasy pros right now, I'm working on a lot of baseball stuff. I have a good uh, top 450 dynasty trade chart that's dropping soon and Ooh. working on some uh, fantasy basketball stuff as well. I have a piece uh, that goes out, I think, tomorrow Tuesday for the uh, – an early mock draft, drafting from the second position. And for the athletic, I have uh, my August stock report coming out. It's going to be post-deadline, kind of looking at who's shifting as we look at the uh, the final few weeks of the fantasy season. So you can be on the lookout for that at theathletic.com. Awesome. Yeah, and like I, or Michael's work, are where you can find him, will all be in the bio. Promise that. You know, Go check him out. Go see what he's doing. It's great to have you on. And got some announcements here. Before we wrap up, so yeah, Drew Sports Crew, we're going into the world right of journalism. We have our Medium account. We'll be doing. I have Jared Vlasky from Journey a Million. He'll be doing some fantasy football stuff. I'll be I'll be writing some things on there as well. You know, not as much as Michael and not as great as Michael, but I'll be doing my part here for the community. So go check us out on Medium. I'll have that in our link tree, so you can use that link and find us there. Also, live show this Friday at Petskill Brewing Company in Manitowoc. Go check us out there. Uh, I'll be bringing the Journey to Million Squad, myself, then with Jared Vlusky and Zach Roush. We're talking fantasy football. We're doing a Green Bay Packer season preview, as you see here in the back. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's the announcements. Of course, Instagram and Twitter, as you can see in the top up here, at your sports crew, find me there. And then also the YouTube, where we are live right now. So we're running the video. Or if you're listening, right, it's Drew's Sports Crew there and the Facebook. If you want to buy hats, contact at Drew's Sports Crew. It's on the bottom. See down here. Go find it there. But that's kind of all for me. Michael, again, thank you for coming on. I truly appreciate it. And have a good rest of your night. So with that, thank you all for listening to yet another episode of Drew's Sports Crew, the perfect podcast for you.